Is your business prepared for the unexpected? What if suddenly you were gone? What would happen to your business? Even though you don't think you need to consider this yet, you really do. Today, my friend Eddie Cleveland shares his story of how he is preparing his business to continue and be even stronger without him. It's Driving Change from ATI. I'm Jeff Berman. This podcast was created to improve our members' experience and to further assist with their growth. My hope is that you'll find the stories you hear from fellow shop owners relatable to where you are, where you were, or where you want to be. Ultimately inspiring you to take that next necessary step. You'll be hearing how others fought the same fight and what they did to get through it and come out better on the other side. Tune in each month for another inspiring story to drive change in your shop. Well, I'm here today with Eddie Cleveland from Roby Man's Automotive in Birmingham, Alabama. And I have to say that I'm really excited to be here with Eddie today because a few months ago when we left the recent ATI Super Conference, I happened to, by accident, bump into Eddie and his wife in the airport, and we had an hour plus to kill, so we hung out and chatted for a little while, and he told me this incredible story about his seceding uh, partner, if you will, at this point, um, Kenny, is that right? Kenny, who is taking over his business, and uh, I thought it was relevant for all of us to hear. So, Eddie, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Well, I'm more glad, because... I love you, man. You're awesome. And I think this is going to be awesome. All right. So that being said, um, Eddie, normally I give you an introduction, but your introduction is so cool. I'm going to let you give your own introduction. So if I understand it right, when you're 16 years old, you dropped out of school and that's where it all kind of started for you. So take it from there, would you? Yeah. When I was 16, I knew school wasn't for me. So I dropped out, went to work at uh, Shawnee's as a bus boy. And then I graduated to uh, working in steel companies because in Birmingham at that time, steel was a big industry at that time. And But it was starting to go away. So every year I got laid off and, and was out of job, had to go find another steel place to work at. And then eventually I got to work at a uh, potato chip company for three years as a machine operator bagging potato chips. And then uh, I thought I was cocky and the greatest in the world, so I quit. And then I <laughs> ended up being a delivery driver. And then I went from a delivery driver, local delivery driver, to driving tractor-trailer trucks for four years. And then after four years of driving tractor-trailer trucks, they uh, I lost my job. And I was on food stamps and unemployment when we decided to go into business. Really? Food stamps? Wait, 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 wait. wait. And How I does someone go into business on food stamps? <laughs> well, if, if you tell them you're going into business, they'll cut your food stamps and your unemployment off. <laughs> They did that to me. But I don't understand how someone goes from basically having nothing from what you're describing into owning a business. How did you do that? Well, I had $1,000. My best friend from the fifth grade had $1,000. And we borrowed another 1000 in 1983 from another friend. And we took off. We didn't know you were supposed to have a lot of money to start a business. Well, what did you know about cars? Well, I was mechanically inclined all my life because I raced motorcycles and did other things mechanically, kept my cars working because my dad wouldn't do it. Uh, and my best buddy, uh, Angelo Robertson, 
he actually was working at the Honda dealership. He got on a job after he got out of the Marine Corps when Honda first come to the United States, and he eventually worked up to a shop foreman. And he was just tired of the way the dealers were handling customers. And so he called me one day and said, let's go into business. And when you're on unemployment and food stamps, I said, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. Good idea. Awesome. So he was the mechanic. Yes. And he was your friend. Right. And was he just trying to help you out because he knew you were having a hard time? Or was there a reason he was looking at you? Well, he, he, again, we ran around since the fifth grade in grammar school. And so we knew each I mean, we were buddies, really good buddies. And uh, he just knew I was mechanically inclined. He knew I worked hard. And, and he needed somebody to help him get going. Just like, I mean, it's hard to do it all by yourself. So he pretty much started out. He did the mechanical work. And I took care of parts and collecting and amongst everything else that you do when you first open up. You told me this incredibly funny story about um, some of the things you guys did in the very beginning. You, you got to share that. It's not relevant to what we're going to talk about, but it's just hysterical. You well, share. I'll tell you two of them. <laughs> we were, we were uh, one day, no business, no work to do. And so we went to the grocery store and bought us a watermelon. And the guys in the shop next to us come over and we were sitting on shop stools eating watermelon. And the guy says, what are you doing? I said, we're having a watermelon party. <laughs> we didn't tell him we was broke and didn't have no money <laughs> and no cars to fix. But And he was just amazed that we were having a watermelon party. But then going back to the one story we had talked about earlier was uh, we didn't have a lift for the first year. So all we had was jack stands and, and working on nothing but Honda and Acura. The transmissions back then were light, lighter. And we didn't have a transmission jack. All we had was creepers and jack stands and when we had to pull, put a clutch in a car, we'd slide up on there, take the transmission out, and uh, lay it on our chest, and the other one would grab you by the feet while you're on the creeper and roll you out from under the car. I can't imagine. You, you, you were the jack stand. You were everything. <laughs> you know, from humble beginnings, right? Oh, brother. I can only imagine people listening right now probably saying, yep. I remember doing something like that, you know. You know, every meeting we have here, the big meetings that we have, Richard always shows uh, these pictures of pretty much stupid things that we do in life. You know, like, you know, getting on a ladder to get to the top of something while it's on top of a, you know, a couple of buckets that are about to, you know, just stupid things, right? And we're looking at these pictures and you take a minute to kind of register what it is. And, you know, we've all done stupid things like that. We look back and go, God, I don't know how we survived it, you know? And this is one of the, I don't know how stupid it is, but it's certainly one of those times you go, how did I get through those periods of time? And it, it is, it is amazing what we do at the very beginning. So, thanks for sharing that. Okay, so that being said, what we're going to talk about is um, really secession. It's about learning uh, or, or observing and figuring out what you need to do to get out of the business when it's time to leave. Some people listening might be thinking, yeah, well, you know, I've only, I got 20 more years before I have to worry about that. Well, this is still relevant. So, Eddie, you're going to tell a story about um, how you found this person and, and kind of how this evolved. And uh, so go ahead. Give it a shot. You know, as all of us, we, 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 we're building something and we're building something and we need to stop and think how we're going to get out of what we built. Because it's, it's, it's work to get in deeper and, and ATI helps us grow our business and do well. But then it's also work to 
back your way out of a business and st- and take the profits from it. Well, I was uh, actually looking for a shuttle driver one day, and we put an application out, and um, this gentleman that worked at FedEx, and he was ex-military, and when he sat down, um, we got to talking, and, and something just struck me. This guy's got more to offer than just shuttling customers and picking up parts and stuff. And so, How many years ago was this? This has been about six years ago. Six years ago. Okay. Go ahead. And then uh, so I interviewed him and told him I'd get back with him. And I went home. The first thing I did tell my wife is, wow, this guy is worth a whole lot more than just uh, just driving a shuttle van. And so I, I contacted Kenny, and that's his name. And I said, Kenny, I, I need to come back. I want to interview you again. So I interviewed him again. And I called him back, and I interviewed him again. I just couldn't believe that this wait, wait, wait. three interviews, three interviews, and this guy applied as a shuttle driver. Shuttle driver, and was it, he thinking there's something wrong with you? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Thought this guy thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm putting him through the ringer just to be a shuttle driver, but the whole time it just something kept telling me that uh, there was much more to this fellow than than, than Kenny. It was. And so I'd actually just re- finished reading the book, Entree Leadership by Dave Ramsey. And he says, if you're going to bring somebody important into your business, they might be married to Mr. and Miss Crazy. So you really need to see the wife and the whole family because one day they will bring that into the business through fusses and fights at home and stuff. And so I actually told him, I said, well, you know, I still haven't hired this guy. I said, I'd like to take you and your wife and you need to bring all your children. And I said, I'm going to bring all my children and let's go to P.F. Chang's and eat. And um, I'd like to meet your wife, and my wife would we all get together, and the kids know each other. And uh, again, I go home. I think this guy thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> and uh, but then after uh, we did that, and realized he's got a great family, uh, I asked him one day. I said, "I, I want to hire you as my assistant." So uh, we set a salary up for him, and he started out, and he was kind of like my shadow. And then as problems come up in the business, I would. Dump the responsibility on him. The first thing that happened is that he'd never service, been a service writer in his whole life. That one of our service writers quit. Well, I put him on the counter. Wait, wait. How long after you hired him was that? It was in the first year. First year. Okay. First year. And I he's thought it was been, sooner than that, no? I think it possibly six months. He'd never been in the automotive industry at all, so he knew nothing right. about, you know, the, the, the program, RO writer, or anything, or estimating, or anything. And so he did that for a little while, and then I finally hired another service writer. And and then one year he did a lot with advertisement. We worked on it, getting a lot of that working. And uh, then I moved him to buying all the parts, pricing, uh, markup in the computer, uh, building can jobs in our old rider. Uh, my, my, my thought was the whole time is, is as as I seen more and more improvement, and I still had that feeling he was the right guy. Is I wanted to give him more responsibility, so he knew every facet of the business, right? Everything from the buying, the selling, the advertisement, to paying the bills. Uh, he had, he spent time in every one of those departments, so he's not ignorant of what's going on in the whole business. And uh, well, well, can I ask you something? Was all this time? I know you hired him as an assistant, but 
in the back of your mind, you had to be thinking, as you said earlier, when you were first interviewing him, that, you know, this guy has more to offer. There's something about him. So in putting him through all these places, was this kind of in your mind, you know, as he goes through each department and learns more and more and you're seeing what he's grasping and how well he handles it, if he can do it, were these kind of like tests to see if, you know, he can run this place? I mean, were you thinking that at the time? If you weren't, that's fine. I'm just curious. Yeah. It's just one of the things that is just, you know, I was really felt like I was more in training and, and, and I put him in every one of these positions to running a store by himself, service riding very early in his career with us and, uh, learning to buy all the parts and talk to all the vendors and how to bargain and get better prices, um, building can jobs. The whole thing was is just to give him more, more and more education. So he knew more about the business. And what really worked out even better is the day I told him, I said, I'm going to build you a bonus plan that's built off net profit. So net you, profit? Net profit. So That's unusual. He gets paid the same way I get paid is when he runs it right, he keeps the cost down, keeps the profits up, his paycheck goes up. And I said, that's the way an owner gets paid is in the end, it's what's the net, not all – this is after all expenses. So he learned to shop for parts a whole lot better. And when we bought, bought into bolt-on and other things, we learned how to buy pads better for inspections on cars. And he, he really grasped that him being a better general manager was making him a better paycheck. Right, right. And so – and then when mistakes happen and you have to eat stuff and warranty stuff, he realized that came out of his paycheck. Right. Because he was getting paid like me on the net, not on the gross. And so uh, it made him really conscious. Then I had to start sharing the P&L with him. Was a big was a big jump for him to see all the numbers. Right. Because we just started discussing about purchasing the, uh, the business. And plus, I felt like, to be honest with him, he needed to see in the P&L to, to ensure him I was really paying him the net. Not just him taking my word for it. Right. He saw the paperwork. And so. How long was he with you before you got to that point? About three and a half years. And was this the point where you're starting to think this guy could run the business? Right. This is where I started really indicating. And that's why, that's why I said, I'm going to make his pay based off net profit. Right. Not on gross sales or GP. It was, you get a set small salary, but every bit of the rest of it is going to come from net profit. So he learned how money's made, and when he lost money, he lost money, not just me. And uh, he just he showed all the right characteristics of somebody that cared, wanted to run it right. He didn't mind warranty and stuff, but he also stressed not making mistakes to the technicians because, again, it hurt his paycheck. But to the customer, he was never reluctant to, to, to warranty a part or, or pay them back for something that didn't get run, you know, done right or rent them a car. And it just it just really worked out great, and he took on that responsibility with no problems at all. Can I take us back a step, though? We glossed over something that I think is important. Okay. And so kind of hold where you are if you can. So in the very beginning when you were interviewing him, you know, 250 times and <laughs> <laughs> four times, whatever it was, and this last time you took the wife and the kids and all that, and I don't know if you have an answer for this, because I don't know if you've ever discussed this with anyone, but in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, each time you're interviewing him, he's probably going back and having a conversation with his wife about how the interview went. 
um, at some point he might be thinking, what is this guy doing? And probably having that discussion with his wife and then coming to his wife and saying, he wants to take us all to PF Chang's, you know, and then of course it was a good experience. Kids all played and all that. I'm wondering how much of the influence to take the job and the excitement about taking the job came from his spouse. I mean, did you ever have a discussion about that? And was there any, you know, down the road later, did he say to you, you know what, my wife really liked you or said this about you and your place or anything like that? I've never asked him that. That'd be a good one to ask him. But I think that the way I handled myself made him handle himself more professionally too. It seemed like the, the more I grow in my business and the more professional I handle stuff that I, I feel like that he realized that maybe this guy's got me in, in mind for something a whole lot better than this. And so it just, I just think that as you handle it more professionally, he was handling things more professionally. Right. And, uh, I, 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 I last, I never thought about asking what his wife thought about I'm all that. I'm just wondering as you're going through this, what influence she had. She had to be in the scene, back scenes going, you know, this is a little odd maybe or it's unusual, but, you know, this guy, Eddie, he seems like a good guy. You know, I, you know, stick with this. Or, yes, I, think, you know? I think, again, how you handle yourself, I think even she, I'll ask, but I, I'm under the impression that she, she realized it was being handled professionally and responsibly and correctly and – and I think she probably didn't have no problem with him taking the job. Now, he's not from our industry. He said he was from the – he did it in a shipping industry. He worked industry. for FedEx. FedEx, okay. Was- so, in FedEx, you know, I don't know what their world's like. I don't know what, you know, and all his background and interviews he's been on and all that. But I can tell you, in the automotive industry, <laughs> we typically aren't very good at interviewing. And I don't know what his past experience has been, but I wonder if maybe there was something different about what he was experiencing with you that made him interested in you too. Do you think there's something to that or not? <laughs> Again, these are questions I've never even thought and about. You should explore that. And I, I should have asked him what impressed him the way I handled it. But it just, it just the book helped me being that I had just read it and I just finished it. And realizing I needed to get more professional at what I was doing and being a better owner uh-huh. and uh, moving from a garage owner to a businessman. And I, I think he, he, he saw that and something impressed him. I'm asking all these questions really because I'm curious, but I, I have to believe that people listening to this are thinking to themselves, there's no way I'm going to do four interviews with somebody. I'm not taking them out to dinner, I, you know, with the family and all that, you know, and, and I, I, I'm just trying to get to, Get them to see that there really is something of value there. And this guy was applying as a shuttle driver and you're going through all these hoops and doing all these things. You know, there's, there's a bigger message in this for me, which is, as you said, use the word professional. I think that's definitely important, but it's more different, I think. Than professional. It's different and professional. It's both. And if you think about the interviews that a technician might have with a mechanic, with a shop owner who originally was a mechanic and how different this scenario really is, or even a service provider, service advisor who's worked at dealers or wherever they worked and now they're coming into your world, you know, 
they have to be interested, I would think. If the good people we're looking for, they have to be interested in what's happening here after the second and third and, and ultimately fourth interview. And I think if there's no other lesson in this part of this discussion, it's that, you know what, don't be afraid to have that second interview. Don't be afraid to have that third interview. Don't worry so much about what they might be thinking, because you know what they might be thinking? I maybe need to wait before I take another job, because this job may be the one I want. Well, I think um, if you show quality in how you handle them, it really reflects your whole business. They're going to say, you know, this guy asked me about this. Do I need Do I need benefits? And he, he was inquisitive. To, Maybe this guy's the right guy. And uh, it, it's, it's worked out really good. Kenny's done a great job. And uh, and the biggest thing is, is after he, he was there three years, I, again, I told my wife, I said, you know, at the end of this year, I'm going to ask him. Does he want to be the general manager and run the whole stinking place? And uh, at the end of the year, I asked him, and he didn't hesitate. He said, yes, sir. And so that's when we started, when he became general manager, that's when he started getting paid off the net. Then he gets paid just like I do. If there's anything left over, you get it. If there's nothing left over, you don't get anything. Yeah. And uh, That's a motivator. And so he's done that. And, uh, and what's really impressed me is in the last year, he asked me not to come to work anymore. He said, why do you even come anymore? And because I guess he thinks I stir up more problems. <laughs> well, does he think it or is it true? <laughs> <laughs> it's got a lot of truth. To it. You gave him the con. Let him have it. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing. He said, they don't need two bosses. And he said, when you walk through the shop, you're the boss, no matter who I am. And so uh, I've been taking the leeway of. His advice, I quit coming to work so much. And uh, hopefully in 2019, his plan, he's, he's, he's purchasing the business from me. So that leads me to something. Um, at last year's Super Conference, um, you won the Bob Cutler Secession Planning Award Correct. for 2017, which, by the way, congratulations for that. That's a hell of an honor to win that award. And I understand you also knew Bob Cutler before he passed. So I, I think this is important for everybody to understand. Could you, I mean, you know, Bob a little bit. Could you tell his story a little bit and where this award actually came from? Yeah. Bob was a great guy with a successful business. He ran a lot of the business out of his pocket, you know, as some of us do and don't want to, don't want to pay the taxes. So you kind of wheel and deal out of your pocketbook and you don't run good records and you don't have any policy and procedures. You really don't have a lot of that. Most of it is just in your instinct and in your brain. Well, when he passed away, he was in our 20 group. Wait, wait. It was a sudden passing, right? Right. It was a, it was, if I remember right, it was a car accident, wasn't it? Correct. He died in a car okay. accident. Okay. So, no one was expecting this. Right. Okay. And his son actually attended a lot of the 20 group meetings we had. He brought his son with him. After the accident and the family got over the, the, the grieving the son realized he really didn't know what he's doing because his daddy never taught him anything, never wrote anything down, didn't have policy and procedures, didn't have the little black book so he knew who to contact to get this product or this service or get the machines fixed. Or He was truly lost because his dad had never made a plan and had it in, in writing so someone behind him could continue the business. So the what if scenario was never thought about. And then what if happened and what they were stuck? What, uh, what do we do? We always think it's going to be later. Yeah. No one plans for that. 
Well, some do. Most don't. Right. And it just, it just, um, it woke a lot of people up in our 20 group that, and so we started in our 20 group, we actually had started doing some stuff about, especially fathers and sons that were going to pass off the business and questioning them of what they had planned. Is it in writing? And uh, it, it really helped a lot of us. And then what really helped me a lot, even before thinking about selling uh, and retiring, was one year my wife and I decided to go for Top Shop. And uh, one of the requirements is you've got to have a little black book with all your contacts, the person, the number, the business, and what they do for you. You had to have policies and procedures. And as we was going through it, and it's a lot of work and it's distracting, but about halfway through it, we started realizing, wow, this is really needed no matter what. If I passed away, my wife wouldn't know half this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she was working with me. And then also Kenny, the general manager, pitched into on a lot of stuff. And we got busy and got our policies and procedures. We got our little black book. We started uh, actually keeping the P&L perfectly clean and correct. So everything you look at is perfectly correct. And it sounds like that's a lot of work, and it is. But I found that the more I ran my garage as a business, the better I got and the more I moved mentally from a garage owner to a business owner. You know, I, I used to own a garage. Now I own a business. Mm-hmm. And it really stepped me up. And then, and we went top shop that year. But it was a lot of work. But it just as you were doing it, you realized this should have been done a long time ago because you never know what's going to happen. So in in being a part of the 20 group when Bob had passed and the 20 group really woken by that because he was a wonderful guy. Everybody loved him. You know, I didn't know Bob that well, but I knew him well enough to know he's a great oh, guy. Oh, he's great. And, you know, this was really sudden. And it, he, if I remember right, it was, he, it was after one of the meetings, wasn't it? He had left. It was like the next week. I mean, it was really, it was, pretty silly, it was a real shock. Yeah. And, you know, so when you guys started talking about things and, and a lot of you, I know, pitched in, tried to help out and some other stuff. That's when it started to become very clear to a lot of you, man, we can't let this happen in our business. And I think around, if it's right around the same time as when you were thinking about seceding yourself, what's, you know, what am I going to do and so forth. And I, you may not have been thinking about Kenny at that point, but, you know, Kenny probably was in the back of your mind a bit because you knew you had a good guy. You just didn't know how good. Yeah. It, it, again, it's a wake up call for everybody and um, realizing whether we pass it on to family or pass it on to anything. We got to do something. Yeah. You, you've got to have everything in order and somebody else knows about it other than you. Somebody else is familiar. Where, where to grow? Grab that book. So you started this process before you were thinking about Kenny. But when you started thinking about Kenny, you were well on your way, weren't you? Correct. Which made that whole transition a whole lot easier. Yeah. It's, it's again, the more professional you handle yourself, it seems like the more professional people you get working mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. They, they sense that you've got your – when you get your act together, you find people who've got their act together. You attract – you know, what, what's the saying um, – we reap what we sow, you know, and, and uh, you know, what goes around comes around, all those kinds of sayings. And bottom line is what you put out in the universe comes back. It was that whole book, The Secret, for years. Remember that? So, 
Now we're at a point where like, okay, Kenny is going to be our guy. We ask him if he wants to be the guy. He says, yeah, I'm going to be the guy. So what are some of these pieces that you have to put together? What, what do you have to look at and say, you know what, this, that, and the other thing have to be in place to make this transition? If I'm hearing you right, the black book is one of them because, and the reason why all these, this paperwork you think is useless at times is you've got to know all the right people just like with me to tell everybody to turn my credit off. Credit card companies, credit processing companies, bank accounts, credit cards, every vendor, vendor, Napa, O'Reilly's, Advance, anybody you spend money with, period. Your your electric bill, your your gas bill. You you make a list of everybody that you've got to contact and saying, I am no longer in business anymore. Then the buyer in the same way has to contact everybody to swap everything in his name. And again, I'm I'm on another journey of of professionally putting it all together so everything gets handled properly. It's not just him handing me the money and I go home. There's a lot of processes that's got to happen to make a smooth transition between the two. And again, we're starting another list of the buyer's list and the seller's list of the responsibilities you got to do to properly walk away and not be held liable anymore. So you mean to tell me you can't just say, hey, want to be responsible? And he says, yeah, I'll be responsible. And that's it, right? <laughs> Well, we, we have a, a meeting every Tuesday, and, and he brought it up because, again, in 2019, next year is the, the purchase is supposed to happen. And, and he got to telling me, he said, you know, wow, there's a lot of stuff I got to do between now and then. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you know, I got to get me a checking account. I got to get a credit card. I got to swap your business license over. I got to swap all the people you buy stuff from and put my name on it and get your name off of it. And so that's where it all started about a month ago, creating the buyer's list and the seller's list. And there's some things that are identical that you got to do where I have to turn off Napa and he has to turn on Napa. Uh, but then there's a lot of stuff different like uh, him seeking out an LLC or an, or an S corporation. He needs to seek legal counsel on that. He needs to seek uh, financial counseling from a CPA on the best way to, to, to do the money end of the, uh, of, of the transaction between him paying me. Does he, does he buy the stock? Does he buy just the name? Does he buy the trademark? It really has turned out to be an extensive list of things that have to be done for it to be smooth and professional and it's all handled properly. He's happy. I'm happy. And to work right. It's a lot. Did you, did you by chance go through the succession planning class? Yes. Was that helpful in any way? Oh, absolutely. What did you gain from that? I'm just curious. It's just how to look at it differently. Uh, one of the things is, is, is uh, Chubby brought this up, too, in one of our meetings that, that it's hard. And this is the part about how to get out of what you've built. How, how you, you worked your way in. You got to work your way out is it's hard to find somebody that actually has the cash to buy your business. And most businesses will end up holding a certain amount of paperwork and you, you're getting paid slowly through the years because most people who want your garage don't have the money because ATI has grown my value so big that it, an, a regular technician can't afford to walk in the door and give you hundreds of thousands of dollars or Millions. more. <laughs> uh so it's it just it just again it's one of those getting the ball rolling, getting the thought processes, 
get your legal pad out, start making a list of things that's got to happen, how it's got to happen, what you'd like to see happen. And then after I did through, went through succession planning, then actually we went back and created a contract for Kenny of what I guaranteed him and what he was going to do and how it's going to work out. Um, so we actually drew up a legal contract with a lawyer and we both signed it mm-hmm. that this is how this is how it's going to go down. And it all started from the secession planning that I realized, again, I need to be more professional than what I didn't grow up a businessman. I grew up working just like everybody else. And and this through the years, the process of growing and doing better is just education books. It's just brought me and ATIs helped a tremendous amount how how to to think this way and, and uh, handle it properly. So secession planning, if I'm hearing you right, correct me if I'm wrong here, is really something that we should be preparing for long before we actually need it. Is that fair to say? You'll run your business totally different if you've got that in mind. Yeah. You will do a lot of things better, more professional, knowing that one day you'll walk away from it. And I think most people get into business, you know, in some some way by accident, right? I mean, it's certainly for you it was by accident. <laughs> you know, you're, you're you know, you're I was, I was dumpsters. And <laughs> I, was t- I was tired of unemployment and food stamps. Yeah, yeah. And somebody says, hey, well, want to actually have a real life? Sure, why not, <laughs> right? So, you know, and, and I, I'm sure everybody's story is a little bit different, but, you know, you get fed up and working at the dealer like he did. You know what? I can do it better. And, or, you you know, you're, you're – you think the boss is making a whole bunch of money. Say, well, you know, why is he paying me pittance? I can do that. And then, you know, you get into a business, you realize, you know, it's it's not quite what you thought it was. The grass isn't as greener as you thought. But we don't do it thinking to ourselves, one day we're going to sell it. We do it because why not? And then we start pulling out transmissions on our chest and, and we, you know, we grow this thing. And we're never really thinking about the end. And then one day... You know, we're 50 years old. We're thinking, you know what? I'm tired. And what am I going to do about this? And we don't really have a plan. And I think I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking, you know what? There was a lot of luck on your side. But it wasn't luck as much as it was, you know, luck finds those that are that are prepared, you know. Luck favors those that are prepared. You were prepared. You knew what you were looking for. You didn't know this guy was going to be your successor. But you knew you needed superstars and you knew how to find them. And those superstars turned into your successor. That That's not an accident. So I, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that Stephen Covey once said, begin with the end in mind. I think we need to do that. We need to begin our business with the end in mind. And if we are, you know, in some ways, a succession class, I've always advocated, should be the first class you guys take. You know, margins and all that are great, but, you know, what are you doing, really? Why are you here? So I think um, the biggest lesson I'd want people to get away from this is, is that whether you're retiring in your mind in three years, 10 years, 20 years, or you hadn't even thought about it, you need to think about it. You need to think about the end, prepare the end. And you did a great job at that. And everyone should be listening, should be thinking to ourselves, you know what? Eddie made it happen. I can make it happen too. I'm no genius. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> you said that funny. I, <laughs> yeah, you're <well>. from Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want if if you if you want to be good at what you're doing, it's a growing process and it needs to be in the, it needs to be in your sights at the end. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it happens when you, you know, when you're looking for it. You were looking for great people. You got great people. That's all. You know, your interview was different. You know, I, I hope everyone listening understands that. You know, this wasn't luck, but you got what you needed because you knew what you were looking for. And you went about it in a different way. I applaud you for having those four interviews. In the beginning, people were listening to that going, my God, this guy's nuts. You know, but no, you did the right things. You asked the right questions. You got the right people. And it's not just Kenny. I'm sure there's a whole crew full of Kennys. Really. You have that, don't you? Oh, yeah. We got some great guys. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. I can just tell from, from what you said. And if it didn't work out with Kenny, would there have been another Kenny in that building somewhere? No. So what would that have meant for you? Then I got to keep looking. Yeah. Yeah. That would and and that can come from anywhere. It doesn't have to be the automobile industry. Have you, you know, have you brought in people that didn't work out? Tell me a little bit about that. What happens? How do you know? How long does it take? Well, they come in wanting it, but then when they see the responsibility, they want the pay, but they don't want the responsibility. How do you sniff that out? Well, as you, it's, it's one of those things, just like with Kenny, the gradual growth, it comes to a stop after a while and they don't want to grow anymore because they don't want any more responsibility. They just, they wanted it for the money, but when they got into it, they realized this is not what I really want. And they just, they, they're great employees. They stop at a certain point, but they're not the ones that's going to take it on further. You know, Eric's your coach, right? Correct. Eric Twiggs. Have you ever heard him say the law of the diminishing grain? Has he ever shared that with you? No. He he said something one day that just fascinated me. And it might have been in a presentation he did at one of the super conferences, but he talked about the law of the diminishing grain. Maybe you he shared it with you in a different way. Maybe you just understand this. But here's what the law says, according to him. That when you hire someone, interview and then hire someone, that's the best you're ever going to see. At the very beginning. So if you hire someone, let's say you gave an A grade to, as soon as they settle in, they're a B. If you hire someone who you think to yourself, you know what, I think he's got it, but I'm not sure. Maybe you gave him a B grade. When he settles, he'll be a C. So if you hire someone who you're thinking, I don't know if this guy's going to make it, but you know, we got to give it a shot. You know, he's all coming in the door, a C minus or a D. As soon as he settles in, he's an E. Right? It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Think about anybody you ever hire, right? It's exactly what you're talking about. And everybody listening is, can you agree with this that they're never as good as when you first bring them in? That's the law of the diminishing grade. So when you're, when you're hiring, interviewing somebody, if you think about that and you're not sure, it's only going to get worse, not better. I was sure with him. No, I, I'm not saying Kenny. I'm right. just saying those that you've seen come through and left. The law of the diminishing grade, if you think about it, it's exactly right, right? 99% of them. You're telling me that, you know, that they brought them in, we were excited, it looked good, we had a good interview, and then at some point along the way, it flattened out. And that's when you said, you know what, we're going backwards, not forward, this guy got to go. Correct. It's the law of the diminishing grade. And Kenny maybe stayed an AA minus, you know, and and that's unusual. That's why he's going to be your successor. Correct. You found that rock star. Now, you look at the rest of the staff, the ones you still have, as awesome as they are, you could probably see the diminishing grade in them, too. If you think about it, to some degree. You're, you're right. Once and you settle in and get comfortable, things change. And, and with any of them, you don't know until you actually hire, but he's kept 
the same level or maybe picked up a little bit as he's getting closer to the end and he sees that he's going to have a great career, a great life, and he sees what the company can do. Uh, I, th- I think he's actually stepping up higher. Mm-hmm. Which is why when I said to you, is there anyone else? Your answer is no, because they didn't go that direction. They stayed or dropped a little, even though they're great. Because, you know, let's face it, if you give me an A plus at the interview and I'm now a B plus, I'm still pretty awesome. Right? <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. You know, it's hard to replace a staff full of people that are 85, 90% of what you would expect. Think about that. That's true. They're just, there's just not that many of those people out there. Correct. But that doesn't make them owner quality. Correct. And that's what I think you're trying to articulate is that, yeah, they're great people, but they couldn't own a business. They couldn't run the business. Well, after 34 years, I've learned that not everybody needs to be a rock star. There's a need for, just like I say, a B-tech, an A-tech, a C-tech, and not to expect more out of them than what they are. That's when you get disappointed and you fire them, and, and, and then you find out you're getting worse than Worst people coming behind them. <laughs> uh, but again, it's, at 34 years, you start learning to see personalities and you realize you, you accept them for who they are and enjoy them while they're there. And, and, and then life moves on. But he, he has met his obligations and more. So if there was one final piece of advice you wanted to share with anybody as we close this, is there something you could leave us with that would, that would be the Eddie Cleveland words of wisdom? Don't be scared to hire somebody outside the industry. My top salesperson, uh, service writer on the counter, never knew nothing about automotive. Sounds like the guy who's going to own your business didn't either. No, now this guy, see, his personality is not that way. He just wants to, he wants to come in, work his job, and go home on the weekend. He, he don't want the responsibility. But he's also the guy, the first guy to ever sell over a million dollars in service in one year. One man. This is your salesman? Yes. Guy on the counter, service writer. So, and he was, he'd never been around automotive in his life. And uh, he was the first one to ever in my company sell over a million dollars in one year. And he's, he's, he's done it almost every year he's been there. Mm-hmm. How long has he been there? It's going on about his fourth year. Four years in a row, sold over a million dollars. Yeah. Wow. And he didn't know anything about cars. No, he's just a salesperson. This is just shocking to me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, and that's what I'm saying. I'm just, glad you said that. I really am because it is true. Good people doesn't have to come from automotive field. The good people probably won't come from the automotive field. <laughs> and I'm not saying that because I, I'm trying to say something about the industry that's bad, but it is. It's just a fact. And it's going to get harder and harder because there's so many people leaving our industry. And it's it's just because they're retiring, they're getting older and leaving. Look, you're leaving us, right? Yep. You're seceding out. You know, and and you know, I, I learned an interesting fact recently, and I'll share this right now because it's appropriate, that ten thousand baby boomers a day are retiring. A day. And if you look around the shop, fifty percent of our workforce is baby boomers. And over the next thirteen years, they're all retiring. That's 44 million people that are leaving the workforce. And half of our workforce is those people. So if we keep looking inside the industry for replacements, knowing that there's not a whole lot coming in, but there's a ton going out, we're going to find ourselves at the short end of the stick. 
So we have to look outside of the industry. And it's good to know that by looking outside of the industry, we can find rock stars. Because the truth is, the one thing we can teach them is cars. If they come in with good sales skills and they're good people skills, the things that we really need, we teach them the car stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah That's what you did. They're just swapping from one product they were selling to another product they're selling. Yeah. And it's just a product to them. It's not some personal deal that they've always loved cars and stuff. It's just, no, that's that's what they do. So, your best salesman came from another industry. Correct. The guy who's who's going to secede and buy your business didn't come from the automotive industry. Correct. He came from FedEx of all places. <laughs> you know, there's a big lesson in that. Get outside of the world that you're in. I think that was a great way to close this. Get outside of the box that you're in and look at some other boxes because there's great people out there and stop thinking that Craigslist is going to solve your problems because it's not not your employment problems. So that said, Eddie, this was awesome. I know I say that at the end of every podcast and then the one before I said, I know I said that at the end of every podcast, but the truth is this was awesome. I really appreciate you coming, especially now when it's uh, almost 630 at night. You just flew in in for your 20-group meeting tomorrow. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. You're welcome. I've enjoyed it and I hope it helps. Okay, everyone, sharpen your pencils. It's time for reflection. You know, that interview with Eddie was really a lot of fun. And there's many things that stood out for me. But there's just a few I want to share with you here at the end. First of all, four interviews is a lot of interviews. And some of you listening are going, yeah, duh, we do that or more. And that's great. But most of you probably are not. So I'd like to just take a minute and make sure you understand the value in this. You know, he told the story about how he built the value in the company and and helped this particular individual, Kenny in this case, see what it is his company has to offer, what's different about it. I asked him what Kenny's spouse thought, and he really didn't have an answer for that. But I think we all realized that the spouse had something to do with this decision that he made. Eddie was looking for the right people. That's really the key here. He wasn't afraid to look outside of the industry, as he said at the end. He really was looking for the rock stars. And while there are plenty of rock stars in our industry, there's more that are not, and there's less and less that are still here. If you want to plan for your future properly, you have to have the people in place to do it. Now, one thing... I do want to make sure we point out here is that seceding your business, preparing for the unexpected, however you want to look at this, you don't need to be exiting to have an exit plan. He talked about the black book and getting the vendors in line where he needs to and having you know, the seceder do his part. But what about all the things we can do on our part, regardless of whether we have another individual coming in or not? How well can we prepare our business so that when that person emerges, we're that much closer to that secession. I think that that really is the biggest point of everything that we heard from Eddie here today, is that we really don't know what our future is. We don't know if tomorrow we're even going to be here. And it's our responsibility to those that we love to make sure that we prepare our business properly should we suddenly be taken out of the picture that everyone else involved knows what to do. And by doing so, we will be ready for that next person.
whoever that may be, or the sale of our business, if that's the direction that we want to go. But we'll be in a much better place when we see that future. Eddie found that by preparing his business for his departure, he was creating something his business needed regardless. If his plan didn't come to fruition with Kenny, then he would be in a much better place for the future either way. His statement was, you'll run your business totally different if you have that in mind as you do. I thought that was a very powerful statement and certainly one worth repeating. I also want to make mention that Eddie talked about paying Kenny off the net profit, not the gross profit. Paying off the net profit is not typically what ATI would recommend. And it is in very rare circumstances that that can actually work. The main reason that that worked for Eddie was because, as he said in his interview, that he had a clean P&L. Took him some time to get that done, but he did. He had a clean P&L, meaning that the net profit was a true net profit. There wasn't anything mixed into that fixed expenses that were not business-related expenses. Therefore, paying anyone off of that net was a better bet and that it was a real number. Now, it's not something, again, that ATI would advocate. In most cases, gross profit is the best way to go. But in some circumstances, that can work. And Eddie clearly was one of those circumstances. One final note before we close. I want you to think about how different your business is from any other business. And I say business because if we really are going to get outside of our box and look for individuals that are not in our industry, then we are being compared to other industries. So what makes you really different? What makes you stand out? And what is it you really do have to offer? Eddie articulated some of those things in my interview with him and what makes him different and I want you to think about that for yourselves because when you have these discussions with potential employees, you need to be able to talk about those things. They need to walk away from this interview and be really excited and empowered by what it is that your business has to offer that they can't get anywhere else. I believe this is one of the main reasons why Kenny hung on so long. He saw something he couldn't get anywhere else. Eddie saw something in him that no one else had seen. There was something different about this. And it's clear that in all of his interviews, with all of the employees that he employs now, that there was something different that was created there as a result. So I'd like you all to think about the next time you have an interview, what it is you're going to talk about, how you're going to inspire them to make you the choice that they want, as well as thinking about what you're going to do to inspire them to share with you all they can so that you know they are the right choice for you as well. You have been listening to Driving Change from ATI. If you liked what you've heard today and feel you have something compelling to share with your fellow shop owners, we're waiting to hear from you. You can contact me, Jeff Berman, by emailing podcast at autotraining.net. Let me know what it is you can't wait to share and how I can reach you. Make sure you follow this podcast so you're notified when the next podcast is available. If you're unfamiliar with ATI and you want to learn more, you can check us out online at autotraining.net.
thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.